Press on in the book of Ephesians. So I'll pull that up here in uh, Bible Works. <clears throat> and I just want to uh, try to have a, a focus on the Word of God. Um, so often in uh, podcasting and webcasting and stuff on YouTube, you just don't get a whole lot of walkthroughs of a uh, text of scripture. So I want to uh, try to do that a little bit more uh, when I do podcast. It's been a busy week, obviously, with Christmas uh, was this past Sunday. And uh, I drove to Cincinnati to visit family and uh, just got back last night. Uh, so I've been uh, catching up on, on all kinds of stuff today and trying to get ready for Sunday. Uh, but I would like to try to do two programs a week uh, from now on. But we'll see. We'll see if I can if I can actually get that done. Uh, life life does get pretty busy and pretty tedious at times. But uh, I'll be I'm gonna try to do that a little bit more. Okay, I'm reading from the New King James Version. We are on Ephesians chapter three. Verse 1. Okay, let's just back up just to get a little bit of context here. Here at the end of Ephesians 2, beginning at verse 19, there's a sentence. Now, therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. And they're really emphasizing that Jews and Gentiles are together in Christ. Uh, They are part of the same body of Christ. They, They both have the same level of access to God, the same level of fellowship with God. Uh, one is not superior to the other and that they need to they need to get along with each other. They need to see each other as brothers and sisters in the Lord. And uh, God has done this great work of regeneration and justification and saves both by grace through faith alone. Uh, faith being personal trust in Christ, not works, not obedience, uh, not living faith, because uh, that's not a, even a biblical expression. Faith in Christ is personal trust in the finished work of Jesus for your whole salvation. And so since God does that, he, he saves both groups, Jews and Gentiles, by faith in Christ uh, alone, and not by works, not by obedience, not by anything that they do. They both have access to God, and they are both part of the household of God. They're both part of the kingdom of God and the church of God. Having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom the whole building, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. And this is why uh, unity in the local church is such an important uh, concept, is something that we should really strive for. We should strive for unity around the truth. Uh, Truth is the only basis for uh, unity. So often, Unity is uh, purchased at the expense of truth. Um, that we'll, we'll be united around the fact that we don't care about theology. <laughs> and that's not unity. Uh, but people do that all the time. Uh, we don't care about the gospel. We don't care about God. We don't care about uh, the doctrines of the Christian faith. Therefore, we're united. No, it's unity only happens when there's truth. When you have the true gospel. When you have justification by faith alone. When you have an understanding uh, that the fruits of saving faith are not part of saving faith. Uh, that's where you have unity, and you have unity in the triune nature of God, and unity in the great doctrines of the Christian faith, and the Bible being the Word of God um, explicitly, clearly. Uh, not not that it contains in various passages, or that when we, we encounter Scripture existentially, it becomes the Word of God, or anything like that. You need to unite around a clear confession of the doctrines of the Christian faith. And that's how we are built up together, um, upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets on the word of God, the revelation that God has given of, of the truth in scripture, Jesus Christ himself being the primary manifestation, the final 
word of God, the final manifestation of, of God's truth to the world. Okay, now let's move into Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3. For this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus for you Gentiles. So here's, he's really emphasizing he was the apostle to the Gentiles. Peter, of course, was the primary apostle to the uh, Jewish people. Uh, Paul to the Gentiles. Even though Paul very often would go to the synagogues first and would try to witness to the uh, to the Jews in various places where he went, but then he would uh, he was still really seen as, as primarily the apostle of Christ to the Gentiles. He says, the prisoner, I'm the prisoner of Jesus Christ, of Christ Jesus, for you Gentiles, if indeed you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God which was given to me for you, how that by revelation he made known to me the mystery, as I have briefly written already, by which when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known to the sons of men, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to his holy apostles and prophets. And here, here's what this mystery is. Here's what this revelation is. That the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ through the gospel. Now, you might hear that and think, is that really you know that big of a, of a deal? Um, that okay, so the Gentiles are are part of the of the one body of Christ. I want you to think about how relevant that is, how important that is, especially in light of the modern dominance of this really odd, um, ahistorical, uh, anachronistic idea of dispensationalism. I say anachronistic because there's there's the only way they can try to say that anyone ever believed this before is to read it anachronistically back into previous generations of Christian thinkers and writers. The fact of the matter is, uh, even the progenitors of dispensationalism like John Nelson Darby and C.I. Schofield and, and that whole gang, um, uh, John Nelson Darby and others that, were, that pushed it called it the new light, like it was some kind of new revelation or something, that there's this church-Israel distinction. And again and again, as I've tried to understand dispensationalism over the years, I've thought, do these guys have the book of Ephesians in their Bibles? There's just no getting around this, that it's it's somewhat veiled in the Old Testament, but it's definitely there. Prophecies about Gentile nations being brought to, to know the true God. I mean, it says that uh, Israel uh, will be will be also joined by Assyria. Assyria will be my my inheritance, and Egypt, my firstborn, and things like that. Uh, for exa- example, uh, let's see if I can find it. Assyria. Assyria. Um, it's in one of the prophets. I believe it's in Isaiah. Assyria. And it actually speaks of Egypt, too. In Egypt. Um, Isaiah. Uh, yep. Let's see. I think it's Isaiah uh, 27. Yeah, yeah, here we go. Yeah, Isaiah 19. That's it. In that day, there will be a highway from Egypt to Assyria, and the Assyrian will come into Egypt, and the Egyptian into Assyria, and the Egyptians will serve the Assyrians. In that day, Israel will be one of three with Egypt and Assyria, a blessing in the midst of the land, whom the Lord of hosts shall bless, saying, Blessed is Egypt, my people, and Assyria, the work of my hands, and Israel, my inheritance. So it's not one of the major themes of Old Testament revelation, but it is there. Uh, you do see that Jews and Gentiles and these completely pagan peoples that were outside the nation of Israel, one day they would be blessed along with Israel. They would not forever be cursed. Eventually the gospel 
was predestined by God to have this major international impact. And here, with the Great Commission, where you have this very clear push and this command from God to go make all the nations disciples, make disciples of all the nations. Uh, there you have the, the full revelation of it. Gentiles, there it is in Ephesians 3, verse 6. It's right there. Here's, here's what it is. That the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ through the gospel. Partakers of the same body uh, with who? With the Jews, with Israel. So that's what it is. Jews and Gentiles together in Christ, saved by the same gospel because they're all descendants of the same two people, Adam and Eve. We all have the same problem, sin, and the, the original sin uh, of, Adam and, of Adam in the Garden of Eden. We, we inherit that corrupted nature that is enslaved to sin. The only way we can be extricated from that slavery is the sovereign and unconditional, electing, effectual, irresistible grace of God. Without that, we're never going to choose for God. We will never choose uh, to repent. But Jews and Gentiles were always going to be part of God's elect people and part of the Christian church together and partakers of his promise in Christ through the gospel. You hear that? Gentiles were always going to be part of the same promise in Christ through the gospel. So when God told Abram in Genesis 12 that in you, all of the families of the earth will be blessed. He's not talking about Abraham's physical descendants inheriting the land of Canaan. That's not what he's talking about there. And you, all the families will be blessed. Back then they understood you're either blessed of God or you're cursed of God. To be blessed meant to be saved, that you were going to be saved by the grace of God through the seed of the woman, through this promised redeemer that God told Adam in the Garden of Eden, the seed of the woman will come. Abraham understood that that's what God was talking about there. Okay. All right, so now it's, it was, in ages past, it was not made known to the sons of men, but now it has. Gentiles are going to be fellow heirs of the same body, the same body of believers, Jews and Gentiles together in Christ through the gospel. Because this idea of the Savior, the Messiah, dying for people's sins, that's always been the good news, and it's good news to Jews and Gentiles alike. God's intention was never merely to be gracious to Israel, but to be gracious to the whole world. Verse 7, of which I became a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given to me by the effective working of his power. To me, who am less than the least of all the saints, this grace was given, that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. So Paul saw it as, as just the greatest um, advantage, the greatest treasure, the greatest gift. He gets to go out and preach and watch God uncover his elect uncover his elect people uh, throughout the world as they hear the true gospel. And he continues on in verse 9, and to make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God, who created all things through Jesus Christ, to the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places. Isn't that amazing? Through the proclamation of the true gospel, and I know the true gospel is having great fruit and bearing fruit in different parts of the world, in China, India, and South Korea, and as I hear, in South Africa and places like that. Um, that is making known the defeat of Satan to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places. When the gospel is preached, Satan is disarmed and his goods 
namely the souls of the people he hasn't captured and enslaved, are plundered out of his hands. And so we make known this to the principalities and powers. That, that is the demons and the devil himself in the heavenly places. The manifold wisdom of God is made known by the church to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places. But I want to point out, it only makes it known to the demons and to the devil and to the spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places if it preaches the true gospel. If the church doesn't preach the true gospel, it's not making known uh, anything to anyone. It's, uh, it is ministering death to the world if it doesn't get the gospel right. All right, verse 11. And verse 11 is a key one because it's cited by a lot of our confessions. Uh, this is where we get the idea of one of the many passages where we get the idea of decrees. That God has a decree. What are the decrees of God? In qu uh, question 7 of the Westminster Shorter Catechism, the decrees of God are his eternal purpose. According to the counsel of his will, whereby for his own glory, he hath foreordained whatsoever comes to pass. Okay, so listen to verses 10 and 11 again. To the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places, according to the eternal purpose, which he accomplished in Christ Jesus, our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through faith in him. So what is that? What is this? eternal purpose. What is that referring to? Well, that's God's decrees. What comes to pass in time and space and the building of Christ's kingdom through the church and through the proclamation of the gospel and God's elect people being regenerated through the gospels to the sole glorification of God's grace. Every time a person is saved, it's not a testament to our creativity or our creative arts or how witty or funny or winsome we are is a testimony to the sole power of God, which alone is able to regenerate people and make them alive in Christ. That's part of how God glorifies himself with his eternal purpose. Okay. And that term uh, that's used there, prosthesis, a setting forth, a purpose, a uh, tone ionone uh, from eternity. It's an eternal plan, an eternal purpose. In other words, a decree. God has a, ultimately there's only one decree. We speak of the decrees of God, but really there's ultimately one plan, one purpose, um, the, the eternal purpose, the eternal purpose, which God accomplished in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Okay. So this idea of Jews and Gentiles born again, brought into the same church, into the same local fellowships to be believers together. Uh, that is a glorious truth of God. Verse 12, in whom we, we have boldness and access with confidence through faith in him. It's God's will that his children have boldness in coming to him. That we, we don't come to God with fear and trembling, wondering if, if we've really been accepted this time. Or if we, do we really mean it this time when we rededicated ourselves for the umpteenth time or, or something like that. But that through the gospel, we have a boldness and confident access to God through him. And so we have confidence that God always hears us, that God's love always surrounds us, that we are clothed in the robe of God's righteousness, which is the righteousness that was achieved by Jesus Christ alone. And that's a key thing. We have this bold and confident access through faith in him to come to his throne of grace, to pray to him, to know that he always hears us, that he never leaves or forsakes us. Paul continues, therefore, I ask that you do not lose heart at my tribulations for you, which is your glory. For this reason, 
I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. So there's there's the communion of saints. And that doesn't mean that we ask uh, people who are in heaven to pray for us because they can't hear us anyway and they don't, they're don't they not watching us. Uh, all disparaging attempts to read that into Hebrews 12, 1 aside, when it says, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. That's talking about the witnesses that are spelled out in Hebrews 11. Uh, there, by faith, this person did this. By faith, Noah, Enoch, by faith, uh, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, everybody, uh, David, so, and so on, Samson, Jephthah, etc. Um, that's the great cloud of witnesses. So therefore, we should not lose heart. We should press on and keep our eyes fixed on, on the hope. The, the idea that what this means is that all the all of the dead in Christ that have gone on to glory are looking at us is, is just not what it's talking about. But there is a communion that we have with the whole church, uh, including the church triumphant in heavenly glory. And there's a communion that we have with one another um, across denominational lines with those that believe and know the gospel. Uh, sadly, we're divided ecclesiastically from many uh, true Christian people, but those divisions exist uh, because there's false teaching, uh, because there's there's problems uh, with issues related to creation and issues related to all sorts of things, um, sacraments and everything else. But the whole family of God is named by Christ uh, in heaven and earth derives its name he bows his knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then verse 16, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man. Now, why is he saying that? That God would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened. Why, why do we need to be strengthened through God's spirit in the inner man? Because we all feel weak and we feel beat up by life at times. And we feel beat up by the uh, hard things that, that the church goes through, especially here. It's not that the church is really being persecuted, per se. The, the church in America today is is killing itself. The church, I think, is actually pretty big in America. It just doesn't seem to really want to preach with, with passion the truth. And it doesn't want to combat anything that's going on in, inside of its own walls. Everyone wants to keep uh, keep the peace and let's not have any... Any problems with anybody? Okay. So Paul is here praying that God would grant these Ephesians strength in their inner man through the Holy Spirit. Verse 17, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. That is a great, great passage. Ephesians is such a treasure of a book because we're still, we're still in the indicative uh, section of Ephesians. It's six chapters long. The first three chapters essentially are spelling out the indicatives. Here's what God has done for you in Christ. And Paul generally follows this, this uh, line. He gives the indicatives here. Here's what God has accomplished in Christ. And then he moves on to the application. Therefore, in light of what God has done and in, in light of the gospel, in light of the fact that not by your works, but by simple personal trust in the Lord Jesus Christ as your savior, that what he did, he did for you. His righteousness is yours and that you trust in that you trust in nothing else to get you into heaven, but Christ's imputed righteousness. And you, you don't, smudge the lines about what faith is. Faith is not works. Faith is not obedience. Faith is not faithfulness. Faith simply is the passive instrument. It is simply a looking away from self to Christ alone to save you. It's personal reliance 
upon Jesus and his cross and his righteousness to save you. When you do that, you want to be built up uh, in love and be built up in the faith. And you need to, to try to understand how deep that love really is. Paul's saying here, I'm praying that you may be able to comprehend that you would comprehend with all the saints uh, what is the width and length and depth and height to know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge. You know, you could really just sit and just soak in and meditate upon what does it mean that Jesus loves me? I mean, think, think about it. If you're a Christian, if you know the graces of repentance unto life and repentance unto life uh, is simply grieving over and hating your sin because when God changes the heart, uh, it sees its need. It sees the need for a savior. And a, a corollary to that is we're going to grieve over, we're going to hate our sin. We're not saved by grieving over and hating our sin, but there's no such thing as a Christian who's not repentant. Every Christian sees their sin and grieves over it. Like Paul describes in Romans seven fifteen. what I'm doing, I hate. But the, the stuff that I do, I hate. There, there's the existence of real hatred of that because the heart's been changed. Now, faith looks to Christ alone for the entirety of our salvation and looks to nothing else. But what does it mean to really be loved by the Lord? You know, my faith is in Christ alone, meaning my belief, my trust, my personal trust for getting into heaven is in what Jesus Christ did and nothing that I do. And so I know that God loves me. Not because I'm good, not because my faith is living faith or, or any nonsense like that, but because I look to Christ and nothing else and I see my sin and I, I know exactly what Jesus is talking about when he says, blessed are the poor in spirit and blessed are those who mourn, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Those things are true. I, I can say by, by the mercy and love of God, I'm so thankful that I see that poverty of spirit and I mourn over the depth of my own sin every day. But I'm so thankful that what Jesus did is enough. And what I am relying on to get me all the way into heaven is what Christ did. And so I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian saved by the blood of Christ, <clears throat> clothed in his divine righteousness. And my faith does not, is not a, um, it's not works. It's not obedience. Faith looks to Jesus Christ. One of the fruits of saving faith is good works. Good works are the fruit of saving faith. They are not what saving faith is in any way, shape, or form. But you can know that you have eternal life if you're trusting in Christ alone. And you see the work of God in your heart. You see that, yeah, he has. He has changed my heart and I, I see my sin and I hate it, struggle with it. I, I often commit sin still, even now, and I hate the things I'm doing. Those are indicative of someone who really is a Christian. But a, a Christian... Their confidence for entering heaven is in the blood and righteousness of Christ alone. That's what faith is. Faith looks entirely away from obedience. It looks away from our, our fruit. It looks away from everything to Christ and Christ alone. And if you're doing that, if your trust for getting into heaven is only in Jesus Christ, just think about the love of Christ. To be loved by Jesus. There's another text of scripture. We went through it. Um, we didn't spend a whole lot of time on it, but you could really dwell on this one too. Paul says in Galatians 2.20, it's such a great statement of, of really what's at the heart of um, being loved by the Lord. Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. Okay, not, not I'm crucifying myself with Christ, but I have been crucified with Christ. The, the old version of myself died with Christ. And it's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. 
And just so you make so you don't make any errors in your theology, you don't confuse what faith in Christ really means, which is simply personal trust in the work of Christ to save you. I don't set aside the grace of of God for if righteousness, if justification comes through the law, if it comes through my obedience, if it comes through my works, Christ died for nothing. Christ died in vain. So that's what it is to be loved. He says, but um, Christ lives in me and the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the son of God who loved me. How do I know that God loves me? How do I really know that God loves me? Because he gave himself for me. I died with Christ. And when I think about my life now, when I look at my life now, I see he's changed my heart. The sin I used to be so comfortable with, I'm not comfortable with it anymore. (laughs) I hate it. Do I still struggle with it? Every day. Sin is an ongoing struggle. It's a war that's not going to stop until you're dead. My confidence for entering heaven is what Jesus Christ personally did. And faith in Christ, faith justifies a sinner in the sight of God, not because of those other saving graces that accompany it, nor of good works that are the fruits of it, but only as it is an instrument which lays hold of Jesus Christ. So what does it mean to really believe in Jesus? It means that your confidence for getting into heaven is in what Jesus personally did. And that faith, that faith simply rests upon Christ. And a faith that bears the fruit of good works is not the same as faith being good works. And uh, that's one of the the goofy, uh, flagrantly unbiblical errors uh, of our time that Piper makes, that, that Doug Wilson makes, and the new perspectives on Paul make. It's just, it's just rehashings of the same old thing. And you know what? There's a book I've got. Uh, Guy Waters is the editor of it, and it's about the new perspectives and the Federal Vision, different, different ways that faith alone uh, has been destroyed um, in our time. And I started reading it again, and man, that book is so good. And I think I've given away every copy of it that I've got, so I need to I need to get a few more of them. Um, in fact, let me uh, let me give out the information on that book because the stuff I have read on it is just so good. And let's see, it's on Amazon, and I'm sure there's like um, Guy Waters. I'm sure it's at Westminster Theological Summit, WTSBooks.com. There it is. By faith alone, answering the challenges to the doctrine of justification. That's right, Gary Johnson. Gary Johnson's another guy that's really good. A really good. Um, theological writer. He's, a, he's another one that I, I recommend. So here's, here's a link to that book. And, uh, I need to, I need to reread it and read this. I think there's some chapters of it. I never did actually get to a lot of times I'll get books and just read the chapters. I think that would be most relevant or most helpful to me. Um, but that's a really, really good one. Okay. So, uh, back to Ephesians chapter three. Uh, so he, he says he, he's praying. I love this prayer. Ephesians three fourteen through 21 is a, just a, a marvelous text of scripture because God is so glorious and gracious and he's saving multitudes of Gentiles and Jews. He says, for this reason, I bow my knees to the father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height to know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge. You hear what he's saying there? 
The, the love that Jesus has for his children, for his people, for the, the people that he came to save is so deep and so great that he is praying that people one day might understand it. He's praying that people one day might understand it, that you would be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height to know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Uh, someone is knocking on my door. <laughs> Come in. I have no idea who's here. Hmm. Well, if if someone's here to assassinate me, I guess we'll get it on live <laughs> on YouTube. <laughs> Come in. Good excuse to chug the rest of my coffee. Okay, well, I don't, they didn't come in. Oh, well, maybe, maybe it's the people that, that are cleaning this week. Sometimes people that are cleaning just want to let me know they're here so I don't, like, get scared. If there's, like, people wandering around the church. Um, the doors are supposed to be locked, so, but, <clears throat> okay, anyway. So, he's praying that they might come to know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. And then he gives this great, this uh, um, doxology. Now, to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus, to all generations forever and ever. Amen. I tell you, I needed to read that today. Is God able to do that? Is God able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think? Yeah, he is. Sometimes he says no to our prayers so often and so many times that we, we might doubt that. But we know that he's able. So I want to encourage you. Uh, maybe you know 2022 has been a, a rough year. It's been a rough year for me. It's been a rough year for my family. Uh, it's been a rough year for our church. <laughs> but I think the church is, is doing, um, doing really well now. And uh, there's been some wonderful things that have happened here recently. And had a, a guy uh, make a profession of faith. We're going to baptize him uh, here. It's just so encouraging. Oh, such an encouraging thing. It was on Christmas Day. So he, he wanted to make his profession of faith and join the church. He's been coming for a while with his family. And just wonderful to see him come to Christ. And just uh, such an encouraging, wonderful thing. Wonderful thing. Okay. Um, people forget that no response is indeed a response as well. Um Okay, uh, <clears throat> so that's a great doxology to him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. And that's the thing that beats in the heart of every Christian. Every Christian wants to see the glory of Christ in the church. And how is he glorified? You know, he said, he told his disciples, and I, I've been praying this in my pastoral prayers, Lord, you said you're glorified in this, that you bear, that we bear much fruit. So Lord, would you bear that fruit? bear fruit through us. You know, we have groups that go out. I haven't, I haven't been able to go out with them recently. I've just had too many things going on, but every, uh, first and third Saturday of every month, uh, a group goes out into the streets to the flea market, downtown Kingsport and witnesses to people. And I've gone out with them, um, a bunch and you, you give out tracks. You try to talk to people and try to witness to them, try to talk to them about Christ. And I'll tell you what, the, the stone cold 
indifference that so many people have to the things of God is sad. But every time we've done it, though, there's always one or two that you'll have a good conversation with. But I had, you know, went down there uh, not too long ago, a lady, <laughs> the first lady we handed a track to, tore it in half and handed it back to me. It's like, you know, Lord, can we have a little bit better response maybe, you know, from somebody? But I, I want to encourage the church. I want to encourage, you know, there's not many people that listen to this or, or watch this. Um, to no, don't, don't grow weary and know that God is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. It's almost like he knows a lot of us are, we give up on asking. We stop praying. And that's terrible. We shouldn't do that. Remember Luke 18, 1 and following. The Lord Jesus told the parable of the persistent widow with that evil judge that feared neither God nor man. And he told that parable so that all men would pray and not lose heart. Now, I remember when I preached on that, a lot of people responded to that sermon out there on Sermon Audio. A lot of people uh, listened in on, on that. And I, I had no idea that would strike such a chord. People get discouraged. It's it's easy to get discouraged in these weird times that we live in uh, with stuff going on. I get discouraged all the time. I spend most of my time discouraged, I think. <laughs> but you press on, you know. You press on and you, you do what you know you're supposed to do. And lo and behold, you know, we've seen a guy come to Christ and it's just it's so encouraging. And I just pray, God, do more of that. You know, bring more people to the Lord Jesus and save more of our covenant children. Save our wayward covenant children. Um, bring to mind the things that they heard growing up and do do more than we ask or think because your word says that you're able to. So my prayer for everyone that listens in here for my little little group on YouTube is that you would know the love of Jesus too it, and that it passes knowledge. It's impossible to fully comprehend how deep that love really is. But you can see it demonstrated in that while we were yet sinners, he was nailed to the cross and died for us. And he rose again and he is alive today. We who know him by faith alone, completely apart from obedience and works and all the goofy, foolish, fun, silly ways people are trying to get works into their definition of faith, we who really know him by faith alone, meaning we're resting only on him and nothing else, um, we can know that love. And we can make strides to, to know how deep it really is, but we never will. We, I don't think in heaven, when we've, when we've been there for eons of time, for multitudes of ages, we still won't really know how deep that love really is. But to be loved by God, that is the greatest treasure that there is. So if you're a discouraged Christian, I just want to encourage you, soak that in. Meditate on Ephesians three fourteen to twenty, and think about what he's saying there. Paul's saying, "You Ephesians." Paul sat down and prayed, prayed that they might be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height to know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. That's what I want for myself. That's what I want for my children. That's what I want for. My wife, it's what I want for the church, that we would know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge. What a glorious, glorious divine revelation that is. And that you'd be filled with all the fullness of God. That that love would just pour out of you towards those around you. That that love of the Lord Jesus that you know, because you know the gospel, that that would be something that is reflected in your face, in your actions, with your words and your works to all who see you and know you as a redeemed child of God. 
don't be discouraged. Don't be discouraged. Uh, pray. You know, my father, I got a chance to see my, my mom and dad. My dad has, he's bounced back a little bit. He's, you know, he's been suffering. He's got kidney failure. He's on dialysis and he's had three small heart attacks and he's, he's looking kind of frail and uh, he's struggling. Um, but he is excited about going to heaven. I got a chance to talk one-on-one with him when I was there um, a couple days ago and he's excited about going to heaven. It was really cool to talk to him. I just look at him and I see, you know, the effects of, of um, his age and, and the, the health struggles that he's had, uh, but his faith in Christ is, is strong. I just I just look at him and I think, man, that man, that man prayed so hard for me, and he never gave up on me. And he prayed and prayed and prayed, and he still does. And prays for all my children, and prays for all my grand, all of his grandchildren, and my kids and their kids. And you know what a blessing as a as a young man to have had a father that loved me and prayed for me like he did. You know, that's another example of the love of Christ. And my mother, my mom is a saint. My mom is one of the godliest people I've ever met. A person epitomized by love for others and self-sacrifice. I'm so thankful to God that he gave me Christian parents that love me like that. What a, what a blessing. You you can't run out of uh ways to see how much God loves you if you're a Christian. In all the ways he's been faithful to you. Even in the trials that he's ordained for you to pass through. So don't be discouraged. Don't be discouraged. Meditate on the love of Christ and the demonstration of that love. Romans 5.8. God demonstrates his own love for us. And that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. But that's my prayer for all of you. That you would know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge. That you may be filled with all the fullness of God. And now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Thank you all for watching or for listening. This is Pastor Patrick Hines of Bridwell Heights Presbyterian Church in Kingsport, Tennessee. You can visit us on the web at bridwellheightschurch.com where all the sermons and podcasts are put into our sermon audio feed, which is accessible in iTunes as well as the podcast app. You are welcome to join us any Sunday morning for Sunday school for all ages at 10 a.m. and then worship for everyone at 11 a.m. If you ever have any questions about the Christian faith or the Bible, you can email me at pastor at bridwellheightschurch.org. May the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.